Hi, and welcome to the Happiness Injection Special with me, Shinette. And these are recordings of 2019's Happiness Festival. And the first speaker was a guy who I probably started my self-help journey with. And he's called Paul McGee. And I'm so proud to say that he is my friend and that we speak on a regular basis. He has an international book called Sumo, Shut Up and Move On. And I'll let you have a listen and see what you think about Sumo. Thanks very much. Morning, everyone. So I've got two main goals really for this session. Goal number one is I want to give you your five to thrive. I want to share with you five ideas and insights that I think will help you to spread the happiness. My other goal is that I'm on for an hour, right? I hope we can have a bit of a laugh and enjoy ourselves whilst we're here. Are you up for a bit of laughter and learning? You all set? Let's try and achieve that straight away. Everyone just stand up in a relatively enthusiastic way, please. And uh, for this exercise, you'll need a partner. So if you want to face the person next to you or behind you, that'll be good. Now, if you are struggling to find a partner, you can make a threesome. And for some of you, Saturday morning just got a bit more exciting. Now, uh, just before we go on this exercise, show of hands, has anyone ever been to New Zealand? Anyone ever been to New Zealand? A few of you have. Whether you have or you haven't, you're probably aware that in the Maori tradition, when they meet each other on a Saturday morning, they rub noses. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who wants to swap partner? You know what, there's some guys in the room going, no, no, bring it on, I'm happy already. There are some women who are looking at me right now going, McGee, if you go through with this, I am out of here. And a room of 85% women, it is fascinating that currently there are some men who are currently looking at another man. Some of them look a bit uncomfortable, you can tell by the body language, they've all got their arms folded, hands in their pockets, the one that is bizarre is there's some men covering their groin. It's not that kind of session. And if you're really butch and macho, probably from the north of England, you've currently got your hands on your hips going, you just try it, pal. <laughs> I know you're going to be gutted, but we're not going to rub noses. What I thought we'd just maybe learn something that might cause us to smile as well. So what I'd like to do, look each other in the eye, or in both eyes if you prefer. If you're a threesome, that's your first big challenge of the session. And just repeat the following to each other. Yeel Skadai. Suka Klumpamin. Yeel Skadai Suka Klumpamin. That was fantastic. Have a seat. Well done. Okay, just in case you are now wondering, so uh, what have I just said to my partner? You've just said in Norwegian, I love you, sugar baby. <laughs> hey, your happiness levels are rising already. How many of you have flown in the last couple of years? On an aeroplane, I mean, not just like randomly where you live. 
In the safety announcements, it's an old analogy, but it's worth revisiting, isn't it? It says, if there's a drop in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will come down. And then it says something else. Put your own on first before helping others. I know some of the people in the room here. I've spoken to some people earlier on who I'd never met before today. And I think it is fair to say for all of us, we spend a lot of our lives, both in work and in our personal lives, putting on other people's oxygen masks. And do you know what? As a result of today, that's got to continue. Of course it has. But I hope the whole of today is about giving you a bit of an opportunity to put your own oxygen mask on. You know, the word inspire, I flippin' love that word. The word inspire means to breathe life into. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes people, politics, change, uncertainty, in-laws, can sometimes suck the life out of you. Can anybody relate to that? This session's for you. My background, people say, where's your background? Where did you get started? My background's in beef burgers. Started off my life many years ago as a graduate management trainee for a big multinational Unilever. They own all kinds of different companies, including Birdseye Walls. So I was working in Birdseye, specialising in HR, first six months of my job. I'm just in an office pushing pen and paper. <clears throat> then I had a life-changing conversation with the factory manager. He said, um, Paul, do you not be really good for your development if you spent some time actually in the factory managing the 30 women on the economy beef burger line? I remember thinking to myself, bring it on. <laughs> Two main lessons I got from that experience. Number one, don't eat economy beef burgers. <laughs> Secondly, when arrogance meets ignorance, when arrogance meets ignorance, that's a really dangerous cocktail. Would you agree? I was a bit of both. I thought managing 30 women should be relatively straightforward. Because <laughs> after all, I've got a degree. <clears throat> I've got a background in psychology and I've trained and worked as a probation officer where I first met Chenette, but that's another story. <laughs> I sensed I wasn't the first graduate management trainee those 30 women had ever come across. Now imagine the scene for food hygiene purposes. When I'm in the factory, I've got to wear a special little outfit. I wore a white coat and a large blue hairnet. I looked flipping amazing. I walk on the shop floor, 30 women just like lining up to greet me. And they've all got that look on their face. Go on then. Motivate me. Brenda, the leader of the pack, steps forward, takes a look at me, turns to her colleagues, goes, girls, we're going to have some fun here. And they did. Folks, there's a reason why I want to tell you that as part of the background. I think training and qualifications are hugely important. Do you know what those 30 women taught me? If you want to get the best out of yourself, if you want to get the best out of others, if you want to get the best out of life, training and qualifications will only take you so far. Would you agree with that? Ultimately, nothing beats a bit of wisdom, some hard work, some self-belief, and I think, crucially, the support of others. We are in this together. I have spoken now in 41 countries. I have met some highly intelligent, well-qualified managers that haven't got a clue how to manage people. I've met highly intelligent, well-qualified people who are total stress heads, and I've met highly intelligent, well-qualified people who ain't got a clue how to communicate and engage well with others. Have any of you ever done karaoke or been to a karaoke bar? 
then maybe some of you can relate to this. Knowing the words to a song does not make you a great singer. And I think you can be an expert in your topic, but you don't always know how to communicate it well. That's why brilliant teachers are just absolutely amazing, because they take sometimes the complex and make it accessible to anybody and everybody. Context of today, we know the general organisation I work with, and I guess the context even for this festival, is that we'll have all experienced some change, we're going through change, and we will continue to experience change. I look at my own life, personally, professionally, yeah, I've gone through a lot of change. And if I had to describe my, my life in one word, here's the word I wouldn't use. Fairy tale. I would use the word roller coaster. I've had a few highs, but I've definitely had a few lows as well. Anybody relate to that? A few years ago, I had a major low. I lost my job. And not because of redundancy, reorganisation or restructure. I lost it due to ill health. I became ill with an illness called ME. My encephalomyelitis, yuppie flu or chronic fatigue syndrome. Most of you heard of it? In the late 80s when I was diagnosed with it. So let me just say, I've been telling you this story. This is part of my happiness journey. And the happiness journey isn't always a straightforward one. In the late 80s when I was diagnosed with it, 8 out of 10 doctors didn't believe it was a genuine illness. One week I've been a so-called high-flying graduate management trainee with all the kind of kudos and status that goes with that. Seven days later, I was on what they then called invalidity benefit. I got 35 quid a week to live on. I had a mortgage based on a salary I'd no longer got and no mortgage protection. Here's an insight for you. Um, I didn't just lose my job. Do you know what I felt? I'd lost my purpose and my identity. And I think there's a lot of people out there in life who've lost their purpose and their identity. On a practical level, it's possible we might lose our house. My wife gets a job, it doesn't really cover the mortgage. We took in a lodger, we paid us 30 quid a week. Made a big difference to us. My doctor, nice guy, was one of the eight out of ten. He didn't believe it was a genuine illness. Here was his way of supporting me. He sent me to see a psychiatrist in Liverpool. If I'm honest with you, I found that a humiliating experience. Not going to Liverpool, but seeing the psychiatrist. Calm down. The gods conspired in those days, you didn't get your money paid into your bank account. I had to go and get it from the local post office. I had to go on the same day, old age pensioners collected their pension. I was in my early 20s, I got a walking stick. And I remember being in this post office queue waiting to collect me money. And I remember looking around this post office thinking, shoot, I never thought life was going to turn out quite like this. Why would I tell you that as part of my background? I guess for two reasons. I do feel privileged that Shinette and Andy Cope asked me to come here today and to speak to you. And I'm also very aware that our paths might not cross again after today. So I really want to maximise this hour to share some of my story, but very much to come in from a, not an academic perspective, because I know Andy does the academia and he's brilliant with all of that, but I just come maybe from a, a life perspective. And the other reason why I like to tell people about my background is because, you know, I do get called a motivational speaker. And I just need to manage your expectations today. No offence, but you're not going to get what I call Californian motivation. I'm not going to suggest tomorrow morning you look at yourself in a mirror going, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger. <laughs> you can do that in the afternoon. Andy Cope swears by it. You see, I'm from Manchester. Anyone from Manchester? Good, not many of them. <laughs> um, this is called Sunshine, by the way, if you're from Manchester. 
And, and I like to share with you what I call a bit of Mancunian motivation. For me, Mancunian motivation is three things. Number one, tell it as it is. Number two, no bull. And number three, let's be really practical. That's where we're going to go today. Sound reasonable? Yeah. Nature of my illness. Again, an insight. I'd improve, relapse, improve, relapse. I never knew if I was going to get over this illness. You know, one of the things I've learned about life is how do you do life well when actually there's not just a lot of change going on, but there's quite a lot of uncertainty as well. And we didn't kind of evolve to do well with uncertainty. That's why being here and grabbing any ideas you can get from today and beyond is so important to help us survive and thrive in changing times. After three years of not knowing whether I'd ever get over this illness, I still didn't think I was going to get over it, but the relapses were less severe. I didn't need a walking stick. So do you know what I had as a goal? This is again still part of my happiness journey. My goal was to get a little part-time job, maybe two hours a day, just doing something. Do you know what? I couldn't even get a job sacking shelves in Morrison's. I couldn't get a job doing anything. Why? Because I wasn't able to pass a medical. Do you know what I did 28 years ago before some of you in the room were even born? I hired myself. I was amazing at the interview, standout candidate. <laughs> Since then, I've written a few books, spoken in a few countries. It was in 2002, I came across this phrase, sumo. And it's what I've become known for now. But it just literally was a catchphrase I came across. If you've not come across it, it started off just literally as a life as an acronym, standing for this, shut up, move on. I hear that, I, I use that phrase sometimes, and some people instantly go, I flippin' love that, shut up, move on, bring it on. But I'll also be really honest with you. Some people hear that phrase and they're like, I think it sounds rather aggressive. <laughs> it's not meant to be aggressive, but you know, I've been on this planet 54 years. You know some of the stuff I've learned. Paul, shut up moaning about stuff you can't do anything about and move on and focus your energy on what you can do something about. Because there's things that are happening in our society today and politically we probably can't do a lot about, but I'll tell you what, there's a shed load of stuff we can do something about as well. And part of that is being here today. You know what? You know what else I need to shut up? My excuses. My excuses. As I drove down here last night with my wife, I remember thinking there are two or three people in my world who could have been on this stage today, but they're not around anymore. And I remember thinking, always a privilege, and you get one shot. So let's shut up our excuses and move on, and grasp flipping life for all it's worth. You know what else? And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more later. Shut up that voice of self-doubt. That's always telling us why we can't do stuff. And let's move on with a little bit more self-belief. What you'll find from today, from this talk, and obviously it's a very abridged version of sumo, is sumo isn't just a catchphrase, it's become a bit of a philosophy for life. And to clarify, what do I really mean by the word shut up? Let me ask you two questions. Show of hands, how many of you drive a car? All right, this next question is a weird question. All right, it is weird. Um, so be aware that in a few seconds, words will tumble out of my mouth and you'll immediately go, that's a flipping weird question. And it is, but I want to make an important point. How many of you, by show of hands, got yourselves dressed this morning? You personally put your own clothes on. Now keep, keep your hands raised, have a quick look around the room, because anybody without their hands up is leading a far more interesting life than you are. 
reason I ask those two questions, psychologists reckon on a day-to-day -day basis, 80 to 85% of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, 80 to 85%, we're doing it like an autopilot. In other words, we do a lot of stuff in life without consciously thinking about what we're doing or why we're doing it the way we are. So for instance, have you ever had this experience? Not milking the cow, but if you've been driving. Have you been on a longish journey, lost in your thoughts and your music, and had that rather scary experience? Like you'll wake up and think, what happened to the last five miles? Why am I in the back seats? Whose car is this? Because when you're driving, you're an autopilot. When you get dressed in the morning, as long as you expect your biggest dilemma was not what to put on first, but left or the right shoe, you do it without thinking, shut up. He's saying, here's a chance for the whole of today, not just in my talk, but in other people's talks, give yourself permission to take some time out, stop, think, reflect, press pause. And I'll, I'll tell you something. There is a shed load of stuff that you and I do on autopilot without thinking that is brilliant. But as human beings, we've evolved, and there's reasons for all this, we've evolved to remember our failures more than our successes. And so for, our, for many of us, we tend to carve our failures in concrete, and we write our successes in sand. Part of what we just need to know from today is, you know what, we're doing all right. But there may be one or two things we could do to maybe even improve and raise our game even more. That's the shut up bit, give you time to stop, think, press. And today is not just about that we have a lovely day out. I really hope that from all the speakers, you take some stuff today that you can move on and apply. A few years ago, I had this idea, why don't we do sumo for schools? Life skills for kids to last a lifetime. That's what we now do. I've collaborated with an organisation actually in the West Midlands, Squirrel Learning, and I set up early this year with their help something called the Sumo for Schools Foundation. So it's a not-for-profit organisation, just like they are brilliant at doing stuff in schools. You see, Andy and I, I guess you could see us as competitors, but do you know how we see each other? We're collaborators. Because there's just thousands of kids out there who need any bit of help, whether it's the art of brilliant stuff or it's the Sumo stuff. But I had an interesting conversation with a primary school head teacher a few years ago. It went something like this. She said, Paul... Can I just start by saying, I am a fan. I am a fan. I love sumo. I loved your book. My husband loved your book. He didn't even read books normally. He loved your book. And the inset did for the teachers. Oh, they thought it was fantastic. Oh, and the children, they're really enjoying sumo. What was the next word? But I'm still uncomfortable that it stands for as an acronym. She said, one of the parents said to me recently, my son George keeps on going on about sumo. What is it? She said, I felt a bit uncomfortable saying uh, it's an acronym, it stands for shut up, move on. George is seven, we're a primary school, and one of our values is show respect. And I don't think you show respect by telling people to shut up. So I'd like you to change the title of your programme. <laughs> I went, Linda, it's my brand, I've spent flipping years developing it. She said, no, I get that, if you don't change it, I don't think we can use it anymore. So if you've got an idea, we can call it instead. She said, no, I said, thanks for the feedback. Before I tell you the rest of the story, quick conversation with your Norwegian friend who allegedly said the following. The future does not belong to the strongest or the most intelligent. The future belongs to those who are best able to adapt to change. 12 seconds, quick conversation. Go, 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 go. The future does not belong to the strongest or the most intelligent. The future belongs to those who are best able to adapt to change. 
was allegedly said by the son of a GP from Shrewsbury. <laughs> called... Oh, by the way, I'm going to tell you the answer and look around because those who have got the answer aren't going to modestly go, we got that right. <laughs> they will make the whole of the flipping room know, we got it. The future does not belong to the strongest or the most intelligent. The future belongs to those who are best able to act to change, was allegedly said by Charles Darwin. <laughs> if McDonald's can sell salads, which they have been doing since 2005, and if Greg's the Bakers can sell vegan sausage rolls, then maybe I need to be less precious and pedantic about my brand. You see, the stuff that we're doing with children relates to well-being, relates to resilience, relates to confidence. And I'm thinking, but this could become a big barrier. People think the ideas are good, but they don't like the phrase. You know, I can't just talk about change. And you think, how do I adapt to change? Just so you know, as an acronym, we do still use the phrase sumo, shut up and move on. That's still the title of the book. But particularly when we're working in education with some other organisations, we use an alternative acronym as well now. It's still shut up, it's still S-U-M-O, but it now stands for this as well. Stop, understand, move on. And we're still doing loads of work in schools. I want to share with you five ideas to thrive today. The first one is related to the following question. Besides God, if you believe in God, the most important person you're probably ever going to talk to is yourself, isn't it? As soon as they ask the question, you automatically have a conversation with, I don't know, people don't flipping ask me. Still can't believe it's all the guy next to me. I love him in Norwegian. <clears throat> he keeps winking at me. He's taking happiness too far. Um, I do genuinely believe this is crucial, this first point. Because I think we are having conversations with ourselves all the time. And I really do believe we need to at times have kinder conversations with ourselves. You see, in the Sumo book, I talk about faulty thinking. I talk about ways of thinking that if we're not careful, they can increase our stress and our anxiety, but they can decrease our confidence and our motivation. That does not help you get the best out of yourself, get the best out of others, or get the best out of life. I talk about a particular type of faulty thinking. I call it the inner critic. To be fair, that's not a phrase that is unique to me. The inner critic is the voice inside your head and my head, highlights your weaknesses, undermines your confidence. The thing is, though, it's your inner critic. You know you've got it. Loads of other people around you might not know that. And the best way visually to describe the inner critic... <clears throat> I do think sometimes the biggest bully in our lives is not our boss or our parents or our partner. Sometimes our biggest bully could actually be ourselves. We make a mistake on the Monday, we're still beating ourselves up about it. On the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, the Friday, the following week, the following month. I do a presentation masterclass, presentation skills masterclass. A guy was on the course recently. I appreciate a load of you won't relate to this, but I found what his insight was fascinating. He said, Paul, not only do I relate to the red boxing glove, I feel like mine's got a megaphone attached to it. You know, the single biggest cause of stress in anybody's life isn't just what's going on out there, it's about what's going on up here. And I think we need to be aware, become more mindful of, hang on a minute, how helpful and constructive was that conversation that I had with myself? 
you know, and I think it can be fed by other people, it can be fed by the media. Do you know, I think one of the things that really is tragic in our society, and I think it could be happening around the world, is this. I think in a very sub subliminal way, we are, we are sold the following message. You're okay if... Dot, dot, dot. You have this many followers on Instagram, this many followers on Twitter, this many likes on Facebook. You're okay if you look a certain way. You, you're okay if, and there's always your okay if. And for years I've battled with that in myself. I'm okay if I get to a certain way, or I've done this, or achieved that, or sold so many books. And I just want all of us to appreciate that we all have to start from a position and a place of, I'm okay. And. And I might want to improve, and I might want to develop. But actually, let's, let's, let's move on from a place of self-acceptance rather than self-loathing. And some of the people who outwardly seem the most successful on the planet still have this self-loathing and it's like, you know what, you're okay, you're loved, you're all right, you're accepted, now come on, let's, let's move on. But society's often telling us, you'll be okay if you've achieved this, you wear a certain brand or whatever. And I ain't against brands, but it's just like, come on, let's have some kinder conversations with ourselves. Um, but, but sometimes people do pull you down and sometimes you will leave here today with a dream and a goal and you'll share it with someone and you won't always get that you know, that affirmation from other people. Quick conversation with your Norwegian friend again. November the 22nd, 2003, um, the, uh, an England sporting team, a male England sporting team, we know the women's sporting teams are far more successful, but in 2003, an England male sports team achieved some major success. November the 22nd, 2003. Quick conversation with the person next to you. Have you any idea what that was? For 10 seconds, go, 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 go. If you said the Rugby World Cup, you would be right. Johnny Wilkinson, last minute drop goal. The coach, now you might not be into sport, but go with the story. You might hate sports, but please go with the story here to illustrate why kind of conversations are really important. The coach of the rugby team that day was a guy called Sir Clive Woodward. He went on having coached in the rugby team to World Cup success in 2003. He became the British Olympic Association's Elite Performance Director during the London 2012 Olympic Games. I think it's fair to say he's achieved a fair bit. He wrote a book a few years ago called Winning. It was all about how he took over the England team and how he, above all, changed their mindset and made them more adaptable to change and be prepared to be more innovative and take risks. I remember reading his book and I, I suddenly thought this to myself, why, why don't I write to Sir Clive Woodward? Why don't I tell him what a great book it is and that I'm going to promote it everywhere I speak? And then I thought to myself, why don't I send him a copy of my sumo book? <laughs> hey, you never know, even if he never read it, wouldn't it be brilliant if he, if he used the phrase sumo, shut up, move on, when he's been issued by the media? That's what I was thinking of doing, I shared it with my mate Andy. Here was Andy's reaction. 
Paul, you're such a flipping brown nose of mine. You'll be stoking him next to Mr. Clive. I like your book, here's a copy of mine. He's unlikely to read your book, is he? He's one of the top sports coaches in the world. Isn't it great when you've got people in your life who believe in you? <laughs> so do you know what? I didn't send Sir Clive Woodward a copy of my book for 48 hours. <laughs> and then I asked myself the question, do you know what these kind of conversations could look like? They could look like this question. And maybe it's a question you've asked yourself and you'll need to continue to ask yourself. I suddenly thought to myself, Paul, what have you got to lose? You're thinking of sending a book to a bloke. You know what? I changed my, my kind of narrative, my story in my head. I sent Sir Clive Woodward a copy of my sumo book. 24 hours later, I got an email. Paul, thanks for your book. I've not had a chance to read it yet, but I just thought I'd let you know. I've already used the phrase sumo, shut up and move on with some of the players today. I'm thinking results. <laughs> Two weeks later, I get another email. Paul, I read your book. I got loads from it. Would it be possible to meet you? I think you could help me. Do you know what my first thoughts were? Is this a flipping spoof email <laughs> that Andy has sent me? I went on to work with Sir Clive Woodward. You know, sometimes in life, just remember you're okay and, not you're okay if. Have kind of conversations with yourself. And, and here's, I mean, I hope you don't relate to a boxing glove much, but here's, a, here's an interesting, um, well, I think an insight. Denzel Washington, the, the American actor, couldn't be here today. <laughs> couldn't find a place to park. Interviewed by the British press some time ago, he said this, a key influence in my life was Charlie White. He was my youth group leader. I remember him saying this to me, Denzel, with your intelligence, with your intelligence, you can do anything you want. Press pause, listen to this next line. I was 10 years old at the time. 10 years old. But I never forgot what he said. You see, you never know the power of words when you speak to young people. You know, I spent 13 years at school. I learned about life under the Romans, the inner workings of a frog, how to operate a Bunsen burner. It's had a deeply profound impact on my life. There's not a day goes by that I don't use a Bunsen burner for something. <laughs> I struggled for years with this and I wish someone had given me some ideas and insights as to how to maybe shut up or at least turn the volume down on my inner critic and move on and listen more to my inner coach and when people say why did you set up sumo for schools that's one of the main reasons why have kind of conversations with yourself folks second point um, I think this is crucial I think getting perspective is really crucial. Um, I wrote in one of my books a, ch a little chapter just called Dethrone the Drama Queen. And I do think with the pace of life and not pressing pause but pressing fast forward and living life with urgency and pressure and information overwhelm, it is easy to get things out of perspective and to make things that are trivial massively important when they're not. And I think 
you know, a question, um, and I know you've heard me before, and I, and I, I have these little po a postcard with these seven questions to help you sumo, and I'm going to share with you the opening question on that postcard. And I want you, just before I do, just to think about an issue or challenge that's going on in your world at the moment. Not a personal tragedy, but an issue or a challenge in work or in your personal life. And, and then with that in mind, just think about this question. Where, where is this issue on a scale of 1 to 10? Now, there's something missing from the screen in relation to this question. So just think about the add brackets bit. Where is this issue on a scale of 1 to 10 in brackets where 10 equals death? Where is it? Because I don't know about you, but in the past, and I still need to be aware of it now, I go off on one, the emotional part of my brain hijacks me, and I'm like, I don't believe this, that's a happened. Tidy your bedroom. <laughs> I knew I should never have married you. <laughs> I'm shopping, I'm in the supermarket, I don't need much, I'm in my little basket, I find the ten items all less few. I'm there waiting patiently, and I am start counting the items of the people's baskets as they put them on the conveyor belt. This woman has 11 items, she has 11 items. Call security, I'll scratch her car. I've got issues. Oh, and by the way, if I'm driving and you don't let me into the traffic, can we just be clear, that's a flipping 11. All right, it's a flipping 11. And, yet, and here's the thing, sometimes I think in life, we're feeling really, 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 really stretched because we're allowing ones and twos to seem like they are eights and nines and it is so crucial we get some perspective now i am painfully aware there are tens nines and eights in life i get that but i guess my concern for all of us we when logically rationally it's a two but we keep on reacting like it's an eight or a nine here's a little phrase i want you to think about stress makes you stupid drugs and alcohol will also do that have a chat with this section for more information at lunch. <laughs> you know, stress makes you stupid. Now, don't get me wrong, you've still got to do your ones and your twos. Are some of you back in work next week? Seven of you, that's wonderful for the economy. <laughs> not suggesting if someone was saying, you know, oh, we've had a right crisis, you've been away. I'm not suggesting from now on you float around wherever you were going, um, <laughs> did anybody die? <laughs> well, no, why? Well, I'm off for a cappuccino, I'll catch you later. Ofsted Inspector. <laughs> it's quite ironic how sumo is sometimes used on. Me and my family and I went to New Zealand a while back. We arrived at Christchurch Airport. Get to the airport, and uh, when, we, when we're going to the arrivals lounge, there's all these signs around the airport don't bring any fruit, dairy products, or meat into this country. If you do, we'll fine you $200, roughly 100 quid. I'm checking with my family, none of us are carrying a dead sheep covered in yoghurt with a big banana in its mouth and bizarrely we weren't, we'd left it in Warrington. My luggage went through security fine, my sons went through security fine, my daughters went through security fine, my wife's went ah ah. The security guard goes, sir can you step aside I need to open the case and I'm like yeah 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 but be my guest. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Three red apples in my wife's case. She'd not even hidden them in her underwear. 
He said, is it cash or credit card? I went, <laughs> I said, it's just three red apples. He said, sir, there are signs all around the airport. We've even provided you with bins. Is it cash or credit card? I went, <laughs> technically speaking, that isn't actually my case. Helen, darling, I think you're required. I've been in New Zealand 10 minutes. I was tired and I was hungry. He puts the apples into a bin. I'm looking at I'm going, they're the flipping most expensive apples. My family's ever bought in our entire lives. They cost us over 33 quid each. And I did not get to bite into a single one of them. And then my wife is led away like a criminal. Which, to be fair, serves her rights. And then my son, who was about 17 at the time, perhaps the hint of sarcasm, suddenly just looks at me and goes, Dad, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10's death, where is it? <laughs> Have kinder conversations with yourself. Get perspective. This next third point relates to a really cheesy little corny exercise we're going to download. Just turn to your Norwegian friend for a moment. I'm going to teach you a really, really cheesy, corny phrase. It's cheesy, it's corny, it's true. Just turn to Norwegian friend. You're speaking English. Oh, you can cope. And just repeat the following to each other. You are utterly and totally and completely mad. M. A D making a difference. It's cheesy, it's corny, but you know what? Seriously, I cannot stress this enough. It's true. And maybe we need to have some more mad moments. Maybe we need to realise that whatever issues or challenges are going on in our world at the moment, we can still make a difference in someone's life. It not, might not seem like a major difference, but stuff adds up. We all need the oxygen of encouragement sometimes. To be someone's oxygen. You're going to hear from Richard Gerver after lunch. Richard's been a bit of a hero for mine for years. And I get to meet him for the first time this morning. And he just said something, almost like off the top of his head, just going, I flippin' love sumo. We didn't use the word flipping. He says, I love its simplicity, love it, the impact that it's having. And I'm thinking, you just put a huge oxygen mask on me, my hero breathing life into me. Think about the culture you work in or where you operate as a family. Every single person is making a difference. I go shopping, I come out of the store, staff there are absolutely fantastic. How many did you deal with? One. A friend of mine came out of hospital recently and said, you know what, Paul, the NHS are amazing. I said, how many of the 1.3 million staff did you deal with? One doctor, one nurse, one paramedic, and suddenly we're talking about the NHS. When I go into your schools, if you work in schools, you know, every single person I encounter represents your school and your organisation. If you are in work, the lowest paid person in your organisation is mad. They make a difference and we need to help them aware of that. How many of you have got kids in the room? Not under your chairs, you know what I mean. And whether you're a parent or not, we've all been kids at some stage. And I just want to stress how one person can make a long-term impact on someone else's life. My son was 15 at the time. He comes home from school one day. He says, Dad, I think I'd like to become a doctor. I'm like, great. Bit of a surprise, Matt, but, but great. He went, 
why, why, why is it a surprise, Dad? I said, well, no offence, Matt, but when we were last talking about school, you told me how you hated biology. <laughs> Call me intuitive. But I just thought an interest in biology may be relatively useful if you want to become a doctor. Do you know what he said to me? We've got a new teacher, Dad. Mrs. Shaw, she's a lot stricter than my other biology teacher. In fact, some of my mates don't even like her. But because she is strict, we're getting to learn something, a lesson now. And do you know what, Dad? She's really passionate about the subject. But I have looked into it. Even if I got the best grades possible in all my exams, it's no guarantee that I'm going to be able to get into medical school. It's one of the most competitive courses to get on in the whole of the country. But I want to go for it. Guys, he was 15 when we had that conversation. He's now 26. Three summers ago, I went to his graduation at Lancaster University. And I heard him take his doctor's oath. And a week later, he carried on his training at the Royal Liverpool Hospital. I'm going, why are you getting emotional? It was the same hospital that I was sent to to see a psychiatrist. And I was ill with Eddie. I've been telling that story about that one teacher. One teacher, Mrs. Shaw. Ever since my son got onto that course. Do you know what? It occurred to me some time ago. I have never met her and I have never thanked her. So I thought, I need to change that. Do you know what? I just sent her a little card. Hello, Mrs. Shaw. You and I have never met, but I talk about it behind your back. <laughs> and I tell people, you're mad, you made a difference because you, not the education system, not the curriculum, not even specifically the school, you, Mrs. Shaw, you were the catalyst and my son wanted to become a doctor. I just wanted to say thank you. Do you know what? She got back in touch. Mr. McGee, I was thrilled to hear how Matt is getting on. Would you please pass on my best wishes? Oh, and by the way, your card, your card just made my year. 54 years on this planet. Don't ever seriously underestimate the importance, the impact of sometimes showing some appreciation and kindness to other people. Because when you do it, you just put an oxygen mask on them. And when I say show appreciation, it's not let's give them a standing round of applause. Do you know what it could be? It could be, I don't know, you just fire off a quick email. You send a quick text to someone, letting them know some of that you appreciate, you thank or remind them that they make a difference. Maybe it's just a little note on a post-it note. Maybe just a small gift. And it's just like, just reminding people that they matter. You know, I've spoken in 41 countries in 28 years, and across every culture and every sector, I've never come across anybody, even the most negative, cynical person who is waking up in the morning going, can't wait to feel undervalued and underappreciated at work today. <laughs> you know, and I think sometimes to have mad moments is to want to understand, yes, I make a difference, 
supposed to remind people that they do because when you're showing kindness and appreciation to others, there's an increased oxytocin in your brain so you feel even better about yourself. That's how we thrive. The problem is you get people like Debbie. David came up to me after one of these sessions. She goes, Paul, I'm not mad. I don't make a difference. We work here part-time. I'm not really after a career. I just want to come into work, do the minimum that's required, go home early and get drunk at weekends. I said, how long have you been the head teacher? You're five to thrive. Have kinder conversations with yourself. Go easy on the boxing glove. You're okay. And you might want to do some stuff. Not you're okay if you do it. Get perspective. On a scale of one to ten where 10's death, where is it? Have some mad moments. Is there something even in this next 24 hours you could do for someone? A gift, a text, a, a little note, a card, a, a, a whatever. And you just kind of just realise that people need the oxygen of encouragement. This fourth tip, this fourth idea, it's a bit left field. But I think it's crucially important that we sometimes appreciate that if we're going to thrive in life, sometimes this is necessary. What are hippos doing mud? You know what? Sometimes life is a bit of a roller coaster. It's a phrase I first used 15 years ago. It's become much more common now, which is great. But it is actually knowing that to thrive in life, it is okay to not always feel okay. That yes, this is the happiness festival, but that doesn't mean that we're always going to be ultra happy clappy all the time. It's amazing when you can get into that, when you go into deeper levels of happiness of around joy and contentment. But you know, part of our journey is, you know what, that was a setback, that was a big disappointment. You know, I'm going to say this, if you want to thrive in life, give yourself permission to digest your disappointments. Sit with your sadness. Just say, you know what, it's okay to not always feel okay. To feel mad, bad, or sad is okay. First three months of this year were incredible on one level. It was the busiest I've ever been in my whole career. But I also had a health challenge, a significant health challenge. And I remember going to the doctor, not to the consultant, and he gave me some news I wasn't quite hoping for. And my wife had come with me. Wife Helen's with me here today. Don't mention red apples. <laughs> and as we walked to the car, I just remember saying, because she just said, are you all right? I said, I am. But I'm just going to go quiet now because I need to process this. I need to have a bit of hippo time. And you know what? It's okay. I ended up getting the all clear and things are fine. But let's just think about you go for promotion, you didn't get it. Hippo time's okay. You went for a new job, you got down to the last two, you didn't get it. Hippo time's okay. You were in a relationship you thought was going somewhere, now it's going nowhere. Hippo time is okay. Spring of 2004, it's a bizarre metaphor, but it's like I felt pregnant. I wanted to give birth to a book. I wanted to write a book called Sumo. 
I'd been put in touch with the largest publisher in the UK by my mate Steve. He'd had a book published through them. It done really well. He said, they're after new authors. They love your stuff, Paul. I said, Steve, how do I pitch my idea? He said, just write one chapter, synopsis of the rest of the book. When you're ready to send it, let me know. Because the editor is called Rachel, and she's now a friend of mine. She edited my book. But she gets swamped with proposals. So it'd be really important. Don't just, like, send it randomly to her. Just, first of all, I'll let her know you're going to hear from Paul McGee. And I'm like, wow. Steve, you're fucking amazing. So I wrote that chapter. They are the largest publisher in the UK. I want to get a book deal with them. Before I sent it to Rachel, I sent it to three of my mates. I said, don't tell me this is good. Tell me how I can make it better. They gave me some feedback. I made some changes. I rang Steve. I sent my proposal to Rachel. And two weeks later, Rachel got in touch. And after a few opening pleasantries, she just said this. I have to say that my reaction to your title isn't very positive. I'm not convinced that shut up, move on, seen on the front of a book in a bookstore, is going to make the majority of people think, I must have that. It wouldn't make me want to buy it, as it's quite aggressive. And I don't particularly like being told to shut up. And I'm a northerner. I think more sensitive southerners might be turned off by this even more. I thought, come off the fence, tell me what you really think. <laughs> Steve happens to ring me up the next day. He says, uh, and I thought he's going to ask me if I've heard from Rachel. He's got his mind on other things. He says, Paul, what do you do next Wednesday night? I said, nothing. Why? He says, I'm running a charity event over in Leeds, trying to raise some money for a children's charity. A night of wit and wisdom. Is there any chance you could be there in the audience just to cheer me on? I went, of course I'll be there, Steve. He said, oh, by the way, I don't know if you've heard from Rachel, my editor yet, but she's also going to be there. I went, is she? <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> you know, hippo time is okay, but it's temporary. Sometimes I think we get a little bit stuck in the mud. I just thought I need to take some responsibility and ownership here. I picked up the phone. Hi, Rachel, it's Paul McGee here. Thanks ever so much for your feedback on the book. Because <laughs> I'm a mature individual. I said, Rachel, you and I are going to be at Steve's charity event next Wednesday night. Is there any chance I could take you out for coffee maybe an hour beforehand? I'd love to tell you how I think Sumo could fly as an idea. She agrees to meet me. I've got my little sumo t-shirt, sumo squeezy stress toy. I gave her some testimonials. And then I said, Rachel, can I talk to you about my logo? She said, yeah, if you want. She said, my, I said, my logo is a funny looking sumo on a unicycle. Imagine if the front cover of the book was a funny looking cartoon sumo on a unicycle. Maybe it's just me, but if I saw that on the front cover of a book, I think it's fun, quirky, different, memorable. I wouldn't see it as aggressive. What do you reckon? I reckon you argue a strong case, Paul. I still don't think it's going to work. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll take it back to my sales team. And if they think they can sell this idea to the book trade, then I will give you a deal. I was so excited. And a week later, I get an email. 
I've spoken to other colleagues and their reaction was similar to mine. Thanks for your empathy. <laughs> a book title has to work from the outset and Paul, yours just doesn't. See, it's part of a happiness journey still. Did I have some more hippo time? Of course I did. But life goes on, doesn't it? You might be in your hippo time for something at the moment. But life goes on. You're not always striving with the great enthusiasm, but you go, you know what? Let's just take the next step. Let's just take the next step. The next day I've been working in London. I get a train down to London Euston the night before. I get off the train ahead to WH Smith's. Why? Because I'm looking for an oxygen mask. Uh, the, the, uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't sell them, Paul. Yes, they do. WH Smith sell oxygen masks. Because you know what breathes life into me? What my oxygen mask is at times? I like to read. And my fifth and final point that I want to wrap up with is this. If you want to thrive in life, get a support team. And of course, they could be physical people in your world. But do you know what part of my support team is? It's the books I read. It's the audio books I listen to. It's the podcasts that I listen to. I subscribe to about 10 different podcasts, including, if you've not subscribed yet, to Andy Cope's The Art of Being Brilliant. You see, without Andy knowing it, he's kind of almost like part of my support team. And when I'm going for my walks, and I'm listening to his stuff, and listening to his interviews with some amazing guests, it's just like it's breathing life into me. You see, we all got to give out, but we've got to think, what, how do we nourish our own mind and our own soul? You don't do it on your own. You don't do it by attending an event for one day here. You're constantly looking, who's my support team, who's my support team? Maybe it's through a book, a podcast, whatever. Of course, it's through people as well. And I'm thinking, my support team, because I know where I'm going to eat that night in London. But what's my mental diet going to be? Consume, consume the papers, read the papers, watch the news, consume loads of CNN, constant negative news. <laughs> so I walk into Dorothy Smith, and I find a, member of me, a new member of my support team. I walk into Smith, I'm looking for a book that will make me laugh, inspire me, or make me think. I walk into Smith's top shelf business section, filled the whole section was this book, was this book. Who Moved My Cheese? It's a parable. It's about four mice now, the deal with change. I'm looking at it going, I'll flipping well move your cheese. Could have been Ruddy Sumo up there. And do you know what? As I'm studying WH Smith, suddenly looking at this book, I suddenly thought to myself, come on, Paul. They are, you've, you've had your hippo time. They are the largest publisher in the UK. But they're not the only one. Speak at my conference the next day. And the following day, I'm back in my office. And I'm all fired up. Get my book proposal out. Part of my support team is the people who are in my office. Helping identify other publishers to contact. We send out the book proposal. Here's what happens. We hear back from the publishers. No. 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 
No, 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 no. I got a further 12 no's. A woman said to me recently, you're not like a lot of other motivational speakers, are you? I said, no, in what respect? She said, well, I mean, some of them have been quite successful. <laughs> you know what? It's Mancunian motivation, isn't it? No bull, tell it as it is. This is part of my happiness journey. You know, one of the things I've learned in life sometimes, metaphorically speaking, you fall. The issue, though, is not whether you fall. The issue is how long you stay down there. And I think very often the length of time you stay down there is dependent on whether you have a good support team or not. One of my members of my support team isn't a book or a podcast. It's my mate Paul Sandham. He contacts me. He says, Paul, I love sumo. I think it would help loads of people. So I think you just need to push a few more doors. I said, Paul, I've pushed a lot of doors. I'm going to say this. Words change worlds. Words change worlds. Because you know what he said to me? Paul, why don't you just try pushing a few more? Because you only need one of them to open. The book came out end of May 2005. A month beforehand, the publisher contacts me. Paul, W.H. Smith's have been on. I'm like, are they going to stock it? They're going to stock it. They went, Paul, stock it. They have chosen it to be their business book of the month and it comes out. I went, it's not really a business book though, is it? It's like more of a personal development book. They went, Paul, 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 if WH Smiths want to make it business book of the month, it's a flipping business book, okay. I said, what does that mean? They said, it means this, going to WH Smiths next month, top shelf business section, you won't see who moved my cheese. Neither will we see another one just come out by Alan Sugar called The Apprentice. But what you will see on the top shelf it's a funny-looking guy on a unicycle. London Victoria Railway Station, June 05. The Apprentice is just down there. And of course, life's been absolutely amazing ever since. Actually, it's not. Second half of 2014, first half of 2015, I have one word to describe my life. Horrendous part of my happiness journey. But I happen to be in a bookstore looking for a new member of my support team. I see a book, I can't even tell you the title, but it says this on the front cover, 10th anniversary edition. I remember thinking to myself, flipping heck, sumo will have been out 10 years next year. I wonder if I could do a 10th anniversary edition of sumo. I contact my publisher, part of my support team. I said, have you ever done a 10th anniversary edition of a book before? They went, never. I said, is that a reason why you shouldn't? They went, well, why would we? Sumo's done really well. It's one of our top sellers of all time. I said, no, I get that. But when I wrote the book, Facebook was just getting started. There was no Instagram. There was no Twitter. We were two years away from getting iPhones. A lot has changed. Maybe I could refresh in the brand, add some new content. What do you think? And Megan and Holly, in this barge publisher, just said this to me. You know what? Let's go for it. Because you see, in life, we need a support team. The book came out end of May 2015. Got to number one in non-fiction. Do you know what today's about? It's not about a book. 
Yeah, you can get the books for yourself or other people, but it ain't about a book, is it? It's about your five to thrive. It's about kind of conversations, get perspective, have mad moments. Hippo time is okay, but it's temporary. And get a support team. Because when you do that, you put your own oxygen mask on. And then you're in a better position to help other people. So let me leave you with Nikki. Nikki simply said this. Paul, I was made redundant on Friday. It was a dull, but it was a well-paid job. And I wallowed for half a day. Then still feeling angry and let down on my way home. I bought your book in Heathrow Airport. I read it from cover to cover whilst waiting for my flight. You see, I've always been the type of person to see the opportunities when faced with adversity. But your book has given me the insight, the courage, and now the determination to pursue my dream career. Thank you. Guys, I'm not going to play the humble and modest with you. I flippin' love that photo. The book went on to become a Sunday Times bestseller. It's been translated into 11 different languages, including Australian. <laughs> but that's all ego stuff. Why do I leave you with Nikki? I'll tell you why I leave you with Nikki. She's never met me, and she's never heard me speak. But Sumo has made a difference to her. Folks, I'm going to be here all day because part of my oxygen mask will be listening to all the other speakers and meeting you as well. But can I just say this, guys? I wish you loads of success, not just in your work, but in your personal life. I really do hope you thrive. And please, please, please never, ever forget this. Whatever your role, whatever your age, whatever your experience, every flipping single one of us is mad. Guys, we make a difference. And I hope Sumo makes a difference to you. Thank you very much. Au revoir. Hi, it's Charlotte who does Jeanette's podcasts for you. I was at the Festival of Happiness uh, recording the uh, the speakers and everything. And while Jeanette was really busy, I decided I'd go and have a chat with some of the fantastic speakers who were on stage that day. Didn't get hold of everybody, but I did get hold of a few of them. And I thought I would record those conversations that I had with the speakers this conversation is the one I had with Paul McGee and I began by asking him if he thought events like the Happiness Festival were really important nowadays. Well, I think it's becoming increasingly more uh, common. I think it's been a rarity in some maybe the last five years, but because the media catches on to words like resilience and well-being and mental emotional health, I mean, to be fair, you could argue some people are on, jumping on the bandwagon of it now. I, I started looking at this stuff back in 1991. Um, we just talked about it as stress then. Um, and so I'm, I've been passionate about these ideas for nearly 30 years. I was going to say, obviously you've sort of mentioned a little bit there um, about what differences you've seen then over these 30 years about how people are, how receptive people are to these messages as well. Absolutely, and I think obviously when um, I think one of the things, and it was something that Shanette mentioned, some people are they are they are maybe depressed, and it is a chemical thing, and there's some real issues there. But some people are now saying, "I'm depressed," when actually they're having a bad day, um, though they're depressed when actually you know you're in a low mood. So I think there are because mental health is on the agenda and on the radar of many people, we do talk about it more. I just am a bit concerned that people start now wearing an identity and a label of things like depression when actually no, it's a roller coaster. Life is a bit tough at times. Doesn't mean you're depressed. Just means you maybe you're low. You're needing your hippo time. But of course, I'm very aware that there are some people who it, clearly they are genuinely depressed as well. So it's um, we've talked for years about our physical health. So I'm really glad we're now talking more about our mental health as well. 
And what reaction have you had to, uh, to your talk today? Uh, I think it's fair to say it was rather positive. I'm thrilled. I knew it was coming uh, for nearly a year, actually, when Jeanette asked me. And I knew that the audience would be very receptive anyway. But I still want to respect my audience, prepare well. Uh, it is a privilege to be on that stage. And it's been a privilege to actually talk to people who have actually come across my material years ago and them telling me how it's helped them and i made some new friends today as well so it's been an awesome opportunity and experience and although hopefully i've given something i've received a lot more you were talking about those um initially some negativity around the, the phrase shut up move on yeah how have you dealt with that so obviously you know so it's something you're very passionate about and then all of a sudden someone goes oh i don't know a bit negative sure and i think um you know, I have to just recognise that I'm, I'm not going to change, you know, I'm never going to stop using shut up, move on. But yes, we adapted it to also mean stop, understand, move on. Um, and I just recognise that some people will, will jump to a conclusion. But on the other hand, also people will be intrigued by the title and the phrase as well. And I don't think it's about being boring and bland and blending in. And if sometimes it causes an emotional impact on people that isn't always positive, at least it's causing an emotional impact. And then if they explore further, they then realise it's not as aggressive as it sounds, but it got their attention. And sometimes attention is what people need to be grabbed with, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're overwhelmed with information. I'm not a celebrity, so I have to think about how do I gain other people's attention and attract interest in what I think is a really important topic. And Sumo has certainly helped me do that. And what would be if there was just one? Obviously, shut up, move on is a key message. But if there, what is the key message you would just give one? You know, give people that are listening to the podcast there. They haven't been here today, but you know, if you wanted to just say to them, just just take this and carry it with you for the rest of your life. Okay, I think it would be just to be aware that, as I say, besides God, if you believe in God, the most important and influential person you're ever going to talk to is actually yourself. We all carry stories about ourselves. Some of them aren't always helpful. And we have daily conversations with ourselves. We call them thoughts or ideas. And I think we just need to sort of like press pause and stop and understand are those thoughts helping us or hindering us? And also, don't become a slave to your thoughts. A question I might ask is, well, who is in charge, the thinker or the thought? The thinker is in charge. So let your thoughts be a bit more fruity or fruitful and thrive and flourish in life, not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of other people as well. Because it does affect, you know, your the state you are in does affect other people, doesn't it? You know, if you're miserable, then that you have a knock-on effect. But if you're happy, that also has a knock-on effect. Do you know, they banned um, smoking in public places, in closed public places in the UK in 2007. They did that because of passive smoking, the effects of passive smoking. What we need to wake up to is the effects of passive moaning. Other people's moaning can actually uh, pollute our minds as well. Thank you very much for talking to me. Been a pleasure. Thank you. If you've liked listening to this, why not buy a ticket? Pop along to www.spreadthehappiness.co.uk and find out when our next annual happiness festivals are. And also, why don't you drop a review? Why don't you subscribe? And why don't you rate us? That would make me extra happy. Thanks for listening. See you on the next one.